0: From fake meat and robot chefs to ghost kitchens and delivery drones, the restaurant industry is rapidly evolving. Welcome to Food Fighters, bringing you interviews with the leading industry trailblazers. I'm your host, Zach Goldstein. Welcome back to Food Fighters. I'm your host, Zach Goldstein. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Jill Taylor. Jill is the CEO of Burgerville, an iconic restaurant brand in the Pacific Northwest. She's been involved with Burger Bill for more than two decades as a consultant at the Taylor Group. And before jumping into the seat of restaurant CEO, Jill actually began her career as a pediatric nurse working at Oregon Health and Science University and Dornbacher Children's Hospital. Jill, welcome to Food Fighters.
1: Oh, thanks. Thrilled to be here. Great to join the conversation.
0: Well, I'm excited to chat with you because y- you have taken over. Uh, a brand that has been around for 60 years, uh, and that is a testament to to the longevity of of a great restaurant concept. But it's also a challenge as a CEO. Yeah. How do you balance balance the nostalgia and history of a prolific brand like that with modern customer expectations who are looking for fresh experiences uh, uh, and and a technology to go along with them?
1: It's a great question. Um, one of the things that Burgerville has been behind the scenes, they don't advertise it much. They've been fairly innovative over the years staying ahead of what's happening with people and what's happening with food. Uh, and And we keep that as a conversation in front of our guests, and then we express it through our menu. So there are some items, for example, on the menu that have been there. Uh, for the whole probably 60 years. I think sometimes we've tried to, to move some of those menu items off and the guests will come back and say, hey, where did my colossal go? So and but then we're adding in new things like we have a strong push for regener for populating our menu with grass fed, grass finished beef that comes from regenerative agricultural ranches and farms here in the northwest. And, uh, and then educating through our brand why that's important and why that's important now is how we've been able to both take care of the legacy part of who we are, but keep our brand fresh and in front of uh, new new generations.
0: As we record this, we're in we're in late May, uh, and one of the things that is is on the forefront of any restaurant leader is what has been labeled for instance, by Nation's Restaurant News, uh, a labor shortage or a labor crisis. Uh, You are positioned in an area in the country that has actually been at the forefront of leadership around minimum wage uh, and things like that. How do you think about the current post-COVID labor crisis, quote unquote, and and what steps are you taking to attract and retain the right right talent now, but frankly, even before this uh, recent crisis started?
1: So Burgerville is guided by its mission and vision, um, our mission of serve with love and our vision to make the Pacific Northwest the healthiest region. So we actually pay attention to what is this showing us as we hit uh, this labor shortage and having come through crisis, we're aware of what's happening in the world and that impact on people, and then what that means for the restaurant industry. So we have been really working to see a level of training and development uh, is part of how we're beginning to do that, as well as staying ahead of minimum wage. And then, of course, people we're looking ourselves are moving to a $15 an hour wage just because of that shortage. And and Burgerville weighs um, both our local presence and our impact on the economy, plus our impact on the environment, and then how to support and, and take care of our people and attract that kind of labor. You know, we ourselves are challenged um, moving forward. And we're looking for fresh solutions through our mission and with our commitments and our values in place.
0: How have you thought about that challenge? I mean, one of the concerns that restaurants often talk about is once we increase uh, wages, there is no going back. It's a one directional movement towards higher hourly pay. Uh, And yet there is clearly a national conversation about minimum wage happening right now. Uh many of the cities in the Pacific Northwest have had uh the highest mandated minimum wages in the country, um making it hard for you to be ahead of <laughs> of where those mandates are, I would imagine. Um Yes. But what what, what how do you strike that balance uh, as you think about where you're leading versus where you just want to fall in line with with local ordinances?
1: Sure. Um, Well, employees are the heart and soul of Burgerville. And so looking at, is this pointing to that it's becoming more of a career, in which case we're looking at, do we change our labor model? And so we have experiments running on, for example, distributed leadership. Is there greater responsibility that we would give a crew member and the training and development to do it that's not quite a managerial position, but has them come forward with perhaps they order or check the inventory, or perhaps they get extra training in how you outreach and marketing, or um, you get training on how to be a better cook uh, so that you could take that skill set elsewhere as a potential career? The other thing that we are looking at is if it's actually informing us that this is moving in a different direction, the current generation seems to be moving more toward, I don't know if I want a job, but I need a job because while I'm trying to create my own thing, whatever that is, um, I need to have a certain number of hours to be able to pay for things. So we're looking at that place where we could say, what is, you know, what is the purpose for you, in terms of your career and where you are, and how can we come up under you to give you that kind of training, change our labor model and prepare you for a different world that we're transitioning into
0: really interesting uh, and it ties to this this point you made a, a little earlier, but it's broader around your vision of making the Pacific Northwest the healthiest region on the planet as you think about your role uh, as a burger focused restaurant or a historically burger focused restaurant, how can you do that? What are the, what are the biggest levers you have to commit to the health and wellness of your region?
1: Mm-hmm. Another great question. <laughs> um, so there's a couple of things that we go to work on. So one is we, because we're a regional company We actually can focus more on some of the challenges and issues. So we support local family farms, ranches, and food producers. We have, we buy regionally from nearly a thousand farms and ranches, and 75% of our ingredients are sourced within about a 300 mile radius. What that begins to create is a kind of platform in which together with our supply chain, uh, we can, we can move toward food security. We can move toward helping millennial moms or moms, period, choose if I have to get fast food, can I count on somebody that's going to bring me healthy beef, healthy items with no preservatives and and junk in the food, even though it's fast food? How can we begin to do that? And then how can we have that impact the economy? And while we're at it, create uh, the sustainability through our food and business choices that actually help us create a healthy environment for a healthy region for a healthy community. So we're, we're trying to do it at multiple layers, just, but not overextend. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Certainly that mission uh, is at the forefront as we think about the, the, the COVID world that we have now lived in for more than a year, Yeah, but, but you were actually responding uh, to multiple crises at the same time. The devastating fires across the Pacific Northwest last year, uh, certainly would have impacted a number of your locations, air quality, safety concerns. Uh, yeah. how did you weigh your options as a leader in your organization and, and what allowed you to, uh, adapt dynamically to such a, a crazy period of time?
1: Yeah. Crazy is right. Um, well, first and foremost, health and safety is one of the highest priorities for our employees. And when we started to get the reports of bad air quality and our employees, uh, managers were calling in saying, I don't, people can't come. They have, some of them have asthma. This is this is really, I don't know how we're gonna deal with this. We actually made the decision to close the restaurants that were temporarily closed them that were most affected by the air quality. What that began to do was create a a whole new level of loyalty and and our employees understanding the commitment that we have to them. We could sacrifice them for profit, but in the long term, that wouldn't have us uh, show our employees that we care and we support their health and safety. We've found that as we do that and as we work in that similar way with our supply chain, we were able to bounce back and have profit by the end of the year. But it was a big hit on us and a big decision to close the restaurants. But it worked out.
0: Yeah, I believe it. And and honestly, especially having probably had to make the exact same cost calculus just literally months earlier. Yeah with the uncertainty around COVID. And so having the pain of shuttering restaurants for some period uh, in the immediate aftermath of COVID and the uncertainty there yeah. only to reopen and then have the fires create a second event just months later. Uh, that's a lot of shock to the system. Yes,
1: it has been. Um, we, because of the way we have chosen to work with uh, healthiest region, our employees and our local supply chain, we've been able to create uh, and the development that we do with people, we've been able to help create a level of resilience so that our people working hard, impacted, don't, don't mistake, yep, that's there. But having the kind of and having the kind of support that allows a level of resilience to emerge is what we found by investing in their development and investing in their health and safety. So we see it more, less as a spend and more as an invest because we know in the short term, people can make it through shock because we have support for that. And in the intermediate to longer term, then we we have that level of commitment and loyalty that has people start to emerge on the other end of it. I can't say it hasn't been challenging, though it has been.
0: Q and A with the restaurant industry's leading disruptor. This is Food Fighters, the podcast. One of the things that you had in place, and certainly what COVID has demonstrated to a lot of restaurants, is uh, the foundation of technology. You're too late if you are dependent on it and you don't have it in place. And the good news is you did have uh, some elements in place. You had your ordering system, you had your loyalty program, Localville. How have you leaned on those pieces of technology to help your restaurants bounce back? Yeah. Uh, And where did you choose to invest further um, uh, because of COVID?
1: Yeah. Well, going into COVID, we had mobile delivery set up with DoorDash and we had our mobile ordering app. And so initially it was while we were fine tuning our app, of course, there was drive through that was just busy all the time. And then what we saw is because we'd been working on our loyalty program, we said, well, let's launch it now because it will help people both get some rewards and have them know who we are. And uh, it was in shuttering the dining rooms, keeping drive through open and making the investments in digital, that's how we made it through. I think we had a like a 5,000% increase in digital by making the investments in uh, fine-tuning our mobile ordering app on the way to launching Localville, which happened during COVID. And then uh, working with our mobile delivery people to fine-tune that Um it 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 paid off i mean at a certain point we saw we needed to invest in flyby which is a way to communicate with the guest and 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 let us know when they were there and let them know when the food was ready so we've been blessed frankly by having those things in place and being able to make additional investments that enabled our people to keep serving our guests that tasty delicious healthy food we have
0: you mentioned a, a 5,000% increase in in, in digital orders, uh, and that has been a, a consistent theme across these conversations. Is is restaurants that had that that foundation in place saw demand shift to digital? Yeah. One of the the other things that we know has happened broadly is a huge shift to third-party delivery. Yeah. Uh, brands that would have, or uh, consumers who would have normally experienced your brand at the restaurant, whether dine-in or or pick up and and takeaway, are were ordering delivery in COVID. Yeah. And obviously that has significantly different margins uh, in your business. How have you thought about balancing the the important role third-party delivery plays in servicing the demand for your customers? with also the potential risk of losing that direct relationship and losing that significant margin.
1: Yeah. One of the things that we do because of who we are with our local suppliers, we feel like, for example, DoorDash, we have primarily been working with DoorDash. We haven't gone to other mobile delivery apps as of yet because what we're wanting to do is to create that kind of relationship where they're helping us and we're helping them so our brand doesn't get lost. They win, we win, and that's how we would like to approach it. They've, they've provided some great support. Because, for example, one of the things that when you get a 5,000% increase in digital, I'm sure all other uh, restaurants have been dealing with this. You actually have to create a new flow in the restaurant to, cause, Digital orders don't come one by one like it would through the drive through or or at the order at the cash register in a dining room. They come forward all at once and then they slow down and then they come in all at once. And it's very asynchronous. And so to be able to uh, keep moving uh, the orders through the restaurant is is part of what we're working to fine tune right now. And DoorDash is uh, also helping us do that. Uh, with some of the research and some of the pieces that they can bring forward in the work that they're doing on their own brand.
0: Great. The interesting thing about being a regional brand is you must get many questions around, do you intend to stay regional? Do you intend to expand uh, uh, across the country? You have really focused your brand and, and your efforts around the Pacific Northwest what is the process for deciding we are a regional brand and we're going to continue expanding within our region, or we're going to look at the possibility of adding Burgervilles to other regions? Uh, how, how do you think about that conversation? Cause it must come up with various stakeholders, investors, board members, team members, yeah. uh, you know, relatively often.
1: Sure. Um, you know, I think one of the things in the QSR industry is to get to a certain scale that can give you then a certain level of profitability. Uh, And so we've been looking at just what is that scale and how would we do that in the region? And then what would that mean to grow nationally? And, And so each region we feel like is special has their own, like you could say, the Pacific Northwest has its own sort of personality. I think people have probably seen that during COVID and some of the protests that were happening here. We have our own personality that Burgerville is a big part of uh, supporting both the culture as well as our brand. Each region would have a different personality. And so, you know, we're looking at what does that mean? Because we feel like being regional gives us a certain kind of intimacy and relationship with our community and our guests that when you start to go national, uh, our concern is that that would get lost, that it would be more about getting to scale than it would be about the local economy and the resilience in the Northwest that we could help build with food security and the way we're working with ranchers and farmers and food producers. And so, you know, we've been looking at how would we do that? And I, I, I'll say we're in conversations right now to see what does that mean, and what would that, what would that open up, and what would we have to be willing to either let go of, which we're not crazy in letting go of our regional brand at all, as you can imagine. So then, what does that inform? We're asking those questions right
0: now. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and I like I like the framing of uh, a, a regional identity can be preserved in a different region, but it necessitates the possibility of a different identity. Uh, and what, is that, what does that look like if you were to do that? Um, it may not be Pacific Northwest Burgerville in a different region if those are not the same principles that that uh, will make you successful there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: So I wanted to wrap up our conversation. Any CEO in the restaurant world has has had a a fairly stressful year. Uh, <laughs> you bring a, a different perspective, though, in in that stress. Uh, as a pediatric nurse, you've seen uh, qu- quite a bit of of stress as well in your previous career. Tell me about some of those formative experiences uh, and what you've drawn on through uh, a really unprecedented year in the restaurant industry.
1: My uh, experience in hospitals, I think the last one I worked at was Los Angeles Children's Hospital in the intensive care unit. And so you would get used to a car accident coming in with, with kids injured or drownings with kids needing to be revived. And so you started to develop a way to be with the crisis and keep breathing and stay present to what's happening and do what was necessary to do. Um, additionally, I worked with kids in cancer, uh, and that's a whole different kind of impact on a family. It's a, it's more slow going than a big crisis. And so I would say both sides of that had me appreciate what it takes to be well and resilient, moving through things like that, whether it's the impact of. Uh, An oncology experience with their child and a potential death in a family or the crisis of a a big accident or a a big event and um, being grounded through that and being able to just keep breathing and be present and not make up a lot of stuff, not get into it, but also pay attention to the feelings and don't let them uh, build up. I got that training through being a nurse in all the different situations I was in and and have been able to bring that. I mean, I developed practices that I brought forward in any situation that I'm in now that have been a part of maintaining my own well-being and my own vitality and my own resilience because if you know if the CEO goes down, then it's like, what?" <laughs> So I I think developing those practices for well-being and vitality is a critical thing, um, especially in the restaurant industry going through COVID this last year.
0: Well, it's it's incredible perspective that you bring. And quite frankly, um, the, the restaurant industry is such a special place because of the number of leaders who grew up in the industry. But it also offers such value for someone like you with those experiences to bring that in to your team. And, and it's, it's certainly to the benefit in a crisis situation of being able to connect those dots. So it's, it's wonderful to hear you draw on those experiences uh, and, and lead uh, such a brand. It's been around, as we said, for six decades uh, through this unprecedented time.
1: Uh, well, I appreciate that. Hopefully it makes a difference.
0: I'm sure it has. Uh, and and Burgerville is doing that in your region. And we look forward to seeing what that looks like next. So Jill, thank you for joining us uh, on Food Fighters. Enjoyed the conversation. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll be rooting for Burgerville uh, in, in these upcoming years as you make some of these tough decisions.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much. This was a pleasure to be in conversation with you, Zach.
0: You've been listening to Food Fighters with me, Zach Goldstein. To subscribe to the podcast or to learn more about our featured guest, visit thanks.com slash foodfighters. That's thanks, spelled t-h-a-n-x.com slash foodfighters. This podcast is a production of Thanks, the leading CRM and digital engagement solution for restaurants. Until next time, keep fighting, Food Fighters.